Hello there, and welcome to another edition of um, my podcast, Making Things Better and Making Better Things. Today, I'm talking to Natalie Lee. Um, Natalie tells her story in a minute, but um, Natalie is known as Style Me Sunday on, um, on Instagram. And this podcast is fascinating in so many ways. She, she's one of those amazing people that has managed to, to kind of change what she does she was a midwife, and now she's then she became a style blogger, and now she's a campaigner, amongst other things. And she's changed what she does, but she's kept the same result, which is helping people kind of become more comfortable with, with who they are and, and, and what they do. Um, and just for the kind of backstory, she's done a campaign recently called uh, Warrior Woman, um, with Dove, um, which is which is frankly all about being comfortable with who you are, living with fierce grace, and and just being just be, being you and not not kind of yielding to the demands of society to be a size eight and to look a certain way. And of course, of course, those things don't just affect women. But they predominantly do, and there's no getting away from that. And we've created a world that is really hard to navigate through. I think if you're a, if you're a woman, um, and Natalie looks at this in a really lovely way. In a in a way, there's other messages here as well. And 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 one of those is that this kind of like modern world of Instagram and social media, it's often rubbished and often criticised for, for being kind of a time hoover and for creating as much insecurity as anything else. And that's true, but Natalie shows how it can be used for good. And I mean that in two ways. So firstly, you know, she's, um, she's a working mum and, and the tools of ultimate creativity that we all have have on our phone allow her to fit and others to fit a new way of working into a life that must contain all the things that that we do for our families and for those that are um, that we're responsible for and, and have responsibility to um, but also in terms of using these methods and these channels to to sell to share um, messages that are that are ultimately confidence boosting rather than confidence destroying and you can create a tribe really quickly and you know my best friends used to be the ones that went to the same school as me then they were the ones that lived in the same town as me then they were the ones that went to the same university as me I, I'm not restricted by geography geography matters but it matters less I can now, my best friends are all over the world um, and I come together in a playground that's virtual and, the, you know, I know that's not all good. I know it isn't, but I think there's a real opportunity to do amazing things using these new communication tools. So N Natalie is a, is a great example of that and it's a real treat to talk to her. And I, I didn't go into a lot of the stuff around um, Warrior Woman, you can see that elsewhere. You can find that elsewhere. I wanted to, to look up why she is, how she is. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Thank you. So, um, Nat. Yes. Tell me about yourself. Hmm. Okay. 
I am a 37 year old woman. I live in East London. I've got two children. I used to be a midwife and now I say, I want to say blog for a living, but I hardly ever actually blog. Um, what I mainly do is on Instagram. I post stuff on Instagram. Um, and I feel like my main role is to inspire people. Incredible. But just talk me through growing up. What made you want to be a midwife? That's hard. Oh, no, actually, no. When I was 14, my mum got pregnant again. And she got pregnant with twins. <laughs> <laughs> which really took the wind out of my sails, because I was an only child until then. Shit. Yes. That's a big change. I know. Two girls as well. And um, I was at the birth. Um, for her, she would say it was a pretty traumatic birth. I was like, what was all the bloody fuss about? Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the experience. And it must have sowed a seed. Um, because for a long time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I went away travelling and I really thought about it. I thought, what could I do that is really gonna be something that I can thrive in that is, you know, me, that shows me, being, is me being me, um, and also something I can travel with. Um, I haven't actually done any travelling with it, but, but oh, no, I did proof. actually. I did, I went to New Zealand for a bit. Yeah. That's really interesting. You, you, you dad, was your dad around when you were growing no, up? No, no. So you lived in an incredibly female, world yes and how when you left the when you left that world and went into a world that was maybe a little less female did you find that easy was there a was there a kind of like moment where you went oh it's different out here than it is than there or did or did you not notice never knew, i never really thought about it I, um, my childhood was kind of slightly, I don't know. So I was born in, you know, the Portobello Road area, the big iconic Trellick Tower. I lived there for the yeah. first four years of my life. Um, that was pretty, it was pretty hard then. When my mum had me, she had to, her whole, her whole family disowned her because she had a child with a black man, first of all who then subsequently, they then subsequently broke up pretty soon afterwards. So she, it was very, it was very difficult when I was, when I was quite young. And she does say that she was very, very close to putting me up into care. Um, so, and, and then she developed an alcohol problem. So a lot of my childhood, I would say, was looking after other people. I feel like I was quite mature for my age when I was younger. That's interesting. So, I mean, God, that sounds really hard for your mum. And yeah. it sounds like her, 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 her lurch towards alcohol abuse was a coping strategy. Yeah. But it only allowed her to cope. It wasn't very good for you, I'm guessing. How was it growing up with the knowledge that your mum was an alcoholic? Um, it was... It was 
just what was. It's your reality. As a kid, you don't question why, do you? You just deal with what's currently in front of your face. Yeah. Um, it, it was difficult, I mean, but she did actually have a good network of friends around her. I remember going to stay at various friends' houses when she went into rehab on numerous occasions. And um, she actually, despite the alcoholism, at various points, she did a really good job bringing me up. I guess I'm getting quite protective of her now because it was only us two, yeah. you know, so we only had each other to lean on. You don't need to protect it. I'm not talking No, I, I'm not. not I'm in my own head, you I know, see. you know, when you sort of say something quite vulnerable, um, you then start to sort of try and claw it back, don't you? Yeah, but it's like being open is good and, and you, your mum is... Your mum did what she did for all the best intentions in the world, and coping is is yeah, better to cope than not to cope. Yeah. And if alcohol's the crutch that you need, then I, I'm not going to judge. That's, yeah. I know plenty of fucking middle aged people, middle aged people doing really really well who are equally as reliant on alcohol as somebody who is on their ass and reliant on alcohol. Yeah. But we <laughs> accept that. Yeah. We tolerate that, and it's okay. She's cheeky red. She's a bottle of red every night. Actually, do you know what? It's the same. Yeah. No judgment either way, but but it's the same. Yeah, I think alcoholism is a big, big, big issue. Do you drink? Society. I do, but I don't have those addictive tendencies. No. Touch wood. It's funny. I um, we do my wife and I do three months every year without alcohol, starting on our wedding anniversary, which is the end of September. And we roll on to it's new, Christmas Eve is the day, so it's not quite three months. It's like eighty eight days, and. Um, and it's the best. I love it. I love. So if you love it, why don't you just carry it on? Because I really like the taste of nice. <laughs> I'm going to sound very Brexit now. But a nice English beer. I love the taste of an English pint, um, and I like a nice red. And uh, no, I do. And what I it allows do. me to do is to have my focus three months where I work really hard and I get up early and I do my yoga <laughs> and I do my meditation, and then I have a little. Cheap, Christmas Eve's a fucking disaster in our eyes because we have one sniff and we're pissed. Yeah. And then we stop drinking again on January the 1st for a month. Oh, right. So we did four months without. Yeah. And um, and, and I'm actually all right about it. And there's so many great alcohol-free, savoury drinks now, from Seedlip to the beers that Brewdog did, Nanny State and that, that actually, I'm, I'm fine. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a pious twat. I do like to go and get pissed as yeah. well. Yeah. But so rare. Because I feel, I feel shit in the morning. Yeah. I'm 50 this year. And I'm recovering like slower and slower. <laughs> so there's no judgment of your mum. I get it. Yeah. I get it. So, so tell me, I think midwifery is one of the, the biggest gifts. I mean, we've had four children and we've had five midwives we had two midwives for the first child and we've had two really dreadful births one okay birth and um, and one amazing like the birth you ordered the first time that only came on the fourth time yeah. mm. what got us through them all was the care that the midwife provided was the relationship and that kind of pastoral role I fear that we're, that we're beginning to lose that within the medicalisation of childbirth. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me a bit about how important being a midwife, not necessarily your experience, but generally how important being a midwife is. 
Well, I think I think when people think of midwives, I often think that they think our job is about cuddling babies. And to be honest, it's really not. I hardly ever. I I mean, you know, I, the main the main crux of the job is about the relationship between you and the woman, you and the family who are supporting her. And my main role was to try and help a woman to feel at ease, to be able to express her needs. Um, I mean, a big part of it was to try and not, um, to try and alleviate some her being scared you know, often women walk into a hospital and and straight away their defences go up, their contractions go down, and um, that doesn't help, that doesn't help the, the process at all. So um, it's a really, it's a really important role. Um, just being at any birth is a massive privilege. And every single time I saw a birth, I was taken aback by the magnificence of it it's a lovely word because i mean you you know you've got a woman there with a baby inside her and then suddenly you've got you know she's got a baby in her arms there's just something so magical about that i think it is magic i genuinely uh, <laughs> i'm in absolute awe and although the first two labors we had were like 72 hour labors are really uncomfortable Bear, baby was posterior yeah. dilation never happened at the rate it was supposed to happen but all delivered without cesarean everything worked yeah fine and even in the middle of that discomfort and mess the glory and the and the and the hope that emerges is just it's breathtaking yeah it is it's magic it really is but obviously you know I've just done a campaign with um, a big brand and they've just done some research and it's they say that um, nearly half of all midwives feel undervalued and underappreciated in their job. I'm not surprised. And I can see that. Yeah. Because when I, when I spoke to um, some of my midwife friends just to do a bit of research, I was like, you know, what could somebody do to make your lives better what could be a really good thank you that you would appreciate and they said you know just to have a nice sofa in the break room just to have a, a kettle that's not dirty and full of scale um really simple little things that are not provided currently with yeah. our nhs system as it is and you know it's, it's it was quite rare I remember when I was working to ever get a break I used to work the sometimes I had to work 15 hours and it was sometimes really tricky to mm. get a break in that time but if you do have a break you want a break where you can chill out and it can be quite a nice calming environment um not some dodgy old plastic sofa mm. and uh yeah with the paint peeling off the walls and things it, it's it is it's fascinating we i mean we went, we went for home births for the first two and then they were so uncomfortable that we we didn't we were not uncomfortable we were slow we just just yeah. and, and we needed to, we were rushed in both times um and i think there's a real sadness to to the 
to the medicalization of childbirth and, and pulling everyone into a place where people are sick in order to give birth to something beautiful. It just feels at odds. And then I wonder the if process. I'm... process. Yeah, I'm yeah. too much of a hippie about these things. No, not at all. No, um, it definitely does... Um, you're much less likely to have medical intervention if you do decide to have your baby at home. Um, also, obviously, water is brilliant for the natural yeah. process. And, yeah, keeping it natural has so many benefits to mother and baby. Also, you know, a massive reduction in postnatal depression as well. Um, and it keeps the costs down, frankly. Yeah, of course it does. But... Um, we live in quite a, a blame culture now. They're so, they're so worried about being sued that, you know, you sort of get whipped in at the first sign oh, we've, of trouble. We've turned into America, haven't we? We've yeah. turned into Caesarean City and yeah. and kind of, yeah. Amazing. I didn't know you were a midwife. That's, that's astonishing. Oh, did you not? No. <laughs> well, you probably told me in the past, but I couldn't, I didn't remember. Yeah. It wasn't the forefront of my mind. Um, how, how, did, how did you move from there? How did you move from there to to doing Warrior Woman and the stuff that you're doing with with Dove? How did that happen? How did it happen? Okay, so my the blog started off as a fashion blog first of all. Um, I was sick and tired of just seeing the same type of person in magazines. Um, I wanted to show girls, show other women what clothes looked like on a size 12, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of person. Um, I then had some time out when my daughter was sick. She's got a rare, my eldest daughter's got a rare genetic condition. She started to lose her sight quite significantly. We were having lots of problems with the school, not being able to deal with it. So I took some time out from the blog and I probably took probably about a year off. And that gave me a lot of perspective and I was able to look at the blog and where I, would, where I wanted to take it. Suddenly when I went back, it seemed quite frivolous, quite meaningless to just stand there saying, look at the latest pair of shoes. I mean, I still do that. I still love shoes. However... You and me both. How many pairs <laughs> have you got? I have, I, I, I have a clear out about every month. I've got 53 pairs have of shoes. Have you really? There are only 52 weeks That's of the strong. year and I've only got two feet. <laughs> it's a fucking disgrace. I've got to sort it out. You do. You need to uh, send them all off to eBay or something and get yeah. some money. Um. So yeah, I just, I wanted it to go towards a direction that felt more comfortable, more natural for me. And actually, I've, when I thought about it, when I do lots of, of the body image stuff and um, trying to help women, I, you know, feel confident again, I got, a lot of the sim I got a lot of the same feedback that I got when I was a midwife. So I would get messages saying how I've helped them. This one, this woman I remember sent me an email saying the story of the knee. I haven't worn anything that showed my knees for 10 years. And because I saw the image of you on Instagram, bearing your stretch marks and your rolls, I felt, why the fuck not? 
So um, for the first time this summer, I've worn a pair of shorts, and she said she feels fabulous. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, do you know that, that's what strikes me um, about just for the for the for the um, podcast Style Me Sundays your yeah your Instagram um, non de plume and um, when I was looking at the hashtag Warrior Woman Three yeah there wasn't much from the event but what there was was a ripple yeah what there was was people going looking in on Warrior Woman Three and here's me in my bikini because I am proud of yes. the size shape color texture droops curves skinniness that, that yeah. I am and it was so uplifting so uplifting and as a father of daughters three three daughters you you kind of realize late that society is broken yeah in terms of body image and I have massive body image issues yeah. as well we Huge. all do of course we do yeah but it disproportionately placed at the foot of women to change how they look. Absolutely. And it's wrong. I mean, I think society is just set up to make women hate them, hate their bodies. See, well, who and that's that? quite a big statement. But the companies, big companies, yeah. win. You know, they, the, the way that we're sort of told to indulge over Christmas and, you know, eat loads of rubbish and then, and then we're hit with all the diet cultures, we're hit with the celebrities wanting to, you know, show you how to lose all the weight that you put on over Christmas. And it's just like, for fuck's sake, give me a break. You know, stop it. It's just like, why can't I just be happy in my own skin? Why can't I just, why can't we just be allowed to live and get on with it and just actually Having stretch marks, having rolls, having a bit of fat on your bones is not the end of the world. And it's seriously not the most important thing in the world. There's so many other issues that we could be occupying our minds with. Totally. And, and I, I, I was struck, and it was a question I was wanting to ask anyway, but I felt it was a leap too far, was the, the link between the output of what you did as a midwife and the output of what you did now. People's responses to what you do is the thank you is the, yeah you you've changed the way I look at myself or yeah and obviously that's an ego boost isn't it for me but it feels good helping other people I don't, it just really does do you know what I, I I struggle with this whole concept of ego and I think we define it poorly do you think yeah I think I mean ego is bad like ego having an ego is is, is not is unhelpful but I think being praised the things that you're good at yeah isn't ego no no i think that's being praised for the things that you're yeah. good at yeah carrying f false praise for the things that you're not good at that right. that's ego right okay using that to prop you up believing that's the only thing that you are that's ego yeah you're just really fucking good at making people feel yeah. good about themselves yeah and in a way i do this a similar in a different world completely yeah that's not being egotistical, that's accepting thanks. I, I mean, I think, I think everyone who, who does do things for other people that, that affects other people's lives, it, it makes you happier, it makes you a happier person. Um, being kind, being, you know, giving other people does 
does have an effect on your own. I agree. You know, happiness. Can't, can't, I, I, I've got a whole thing about kindness being a competitive advantage. And, and what's my phrase? Kindness, cheaper than dirt, louder than bombs. And it's tr- it's true than these really yeah. big prints, actually. Oh, right. Like, that's, I like that. It's really lovely. I'm going to get yeah. some t-shirts done. And, and we've forgotten kindness because we kind of turn telly on and you've got Alan Sugar wagging his horrible yeah. finger and saying, you're fucking fired. And, and like business isn't, isn't like that anymore. The world's changed and EQ and respect and all of these things make for a stronger business yeah and if you look at the companies that are most successful they're the most diverse yeah by far in every possible way whether it be race sexuality creed whatever it is it the most diverse companies are the most successful and then those companies that are, are is that true that's true is it really true that's so that, been studied. that stat is right is that's a real strat, stat yeah. and then those companies that are um uh, the most giving, and, and I don't mean soft, I don't mean give my product away, yeah. but care about their staff, their yeah. teams, they're also the most successful companies. Right. And the challenge that we've got, it's a bit as in, the, in the business world over the next 20 years, is how to attract and retain the best talent. That's, yeah, yeah. There's a talent hunt on. And so being kind, being human really matters. And what I love about what you do is you're kind of pointing that at, at the way industry, the way retailers, the way fashion, the way cosmetics industry breeds business on the back of insecurity. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know when it started. No. And I don't know how it's going to end, but it feels like we're beginning to, 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 to turn our back on it. And it's not binary. It's not. I don't. I don't feel bad about who yeah. I am. I'm going to do what. I, there's little moments where I, I was in, I was in a cosmetic store the other day, which I've mispronounced. And um, and uh, and the guy said to me, "What's your cleaning regime?" And I went, <laughs> "I haven't got one." I said, "Look, I shave about three times a week. When I shave, I wash my face." So he said, "Oh," I said, "Yeah." He said, "What do you use to wash your face?" I said, "The soap that I put on to shave with." Yeah, well, we're going to cut that right out. <laughs> it was really flamboyant. And, uh, and I now have a cleaning regime in a hundred pounds worth of products because I was made to fit. And I'm a fucking 49 year old bloke. You're a sucker. I'm a year old bloke and I look all right. I've not got a T-zone or the screen C. Everything's fine. But you were sucked in. Suddenly, I've now got two products that I stick on my face. That cost a hundred pounds. Nearly. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it makes but, but but men get it like way less but yeah. but it's there why has business chosen to make women feel more insecure about themselves than men why is that because we both spend money we both have income why is it that women that have been targeted in this way i guess it's easier women are the ones who spend it most frequently on those types of things, be it clothes, be it beauty, be it the diet industry. I, I, I can't but answer that. But, but, I don't know. But this, this, this is my yeah. point, right? So this is chicken and egg, right? Yeah. They do. They are the ones that spend the money. Yeah. Because they're the ones that are told they're not good yes, enough. Yes, yes. And, and, and I don't know where, it started. where that started. No. And 
It's because men don't need to give a shit about themselves. We just kind of like bathe in the blood of our enemies and go out there and <laughs> kill something. And dr- I don't. I don't know. It. It's changing. Yeah. But it's deeply worrying when young women look at themselves and are not happy with the beauty that they already have. Yeah. And when you've got kids of 17, 18 having, having boob jobs and other cosmetic surgery that is, like, yeah. not needed. I know. And I, I just see so many images of young girls with fillers in their lips and, you know, f- fake eyelashes on, and I just think... It doesn't even look good. No, oh, I know. It's just, what are you doing? But but there's an image that's portrayed that that is how you should look. Yeah. Someone, there's a beauty myth. Yeah, absolutely. But what I like about social media is that for the first time ever, I think, we are now trying to change things or do things from the bottom up rather than from the top down. So it's not some old guy in the boardroom saying this is how it's got to be which is how it's always been and now when you I mean there's there's a lot to be said about the disadvantages of social media but one of the things I love most about it is that you can use it as a vehicle for good and you can use it to present people with other images Every single type of person can go on social media and see somebody who looks like them, which is probably you know the first time that this has ever happened. I would say definitely. Yeah. And and you've and you've leapt ahead of where I was going to go because because the problem is like massive. But we've all got the solution in our magic in our black, <laughs> yeah. little black mirror, haven't we? Yes. Our little black magic square, because the democratization of of photography, creativity, sharing opinion means that we can we can always find someone that looks like us. Yeah. And what I'm really interested in, and you've worked with a, a big brand, and it's a good brand actually, um, as far as big companies go. They're listening, aren't they? They they are listening. Yeah. They you know there there is a lot of talk. They also at a recent. Um, uh, talk I was at recently they also do admit when they get it wrong oh and, yeah uh, I remember that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I had a very interesting discussion with why they got it wrong and and it, it you know it's quite nice sometimes M- maybe they didn't do it publicly I don't know if they did or not but it's quite nice for brands to sometimes help hold their hands up and just say you know what we got this wrong I think they did do it I read a really interesting article written by the woman. Yes, I, I read that. It, it was it was fascinating. Um, it wasn't apologetic, but it, it was explanatory. And I understood the reasons behind the campaign. The execution was dreadful. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that's all they really needed to say. They 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 should have sort of stood by what they were trying to do, but said we probably didn't execute it in the best way that we could have done. Did it make you think about working with them in the future, or, or stopping um, working with them? Not once I looked into it properly. Yeah. No, when because there was a lot of stuff on social media, um, and it was just taking a very small, you know, milli, you know, few seconds of it, and it and it looked bloody awful. Um, 
Yeah, it was one shot. Yeah, and it looked. But when once once I sort of looked into the whole thing and you know, I, I was okay about working with them. That's good. No, yeah. I think I think they're a good company. I have I have to say, <laughs> and look, you're. How old did you say you were? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. What What would the thirty-seven like? You're supremely beautiful, supremely confident. What you're doing is really making a massive difference. What would you say to the fifteen-year-old you if you could have that conversation? Maybe the fifteen-year-old you was equally confident and, and sorted, but what What would you say to that teenage you? Um. What I've realised now is I don't have to put up and shut up. I can be noisy, I can have a voice, and I can still be respected. I think when I was a teenager, if I came across different sorts of opinions, say for example if I came across any racism, I, was, I thought it's just not worth saying anything because it, they probably wouldn't change their mind they I might also get some backlash and um, I didn't have the confidence to be able to speak my mind then and I think that does come with age you know you I, I actually remember you know when we first met it was actually one of your talks that you did at Porter's, Porter's Agen yeah, Agency yeah. and actually that was quite a significant moment for me um, you talked about not being vanilla and like everyone else. You spoke about what's the point in saying something if you're not if you haven't got anything. Yeah. I can't I can't put it as well as you did, um, but it was really important for me to hear that because I I think for a long time I've always been scared of speaking out. Getting and and I think especially as women, we are we're kind of like we're kind of brought up to be fairly compliant, and um, as soon as I started to speak up, as soon as I started to have a voice, and actually say no, this is fucking shit and it needs to change, that's when people started to say, oh yeah, she's got a point, and um, so I would say to my younger self. Be brave. Don't be afraid to have convictions behind your opinions. I love that. And you're right. You are brought up, women are brought up to be compliant by this belief that look like this. And I'm I'm definitely one of those girls. I, I'm, I think Oprah called it a gold star girl. You, you know, you, you want to please the teacher. You know, if I'm ever in a class, I, I try my best. I, I want to be the teacher's pet. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I want to please people. And actually, that, that is, doesn't always go in your favour. Uh, but fundamentally, if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. Yeah. And, we're, and, I, and we, we've shifted. The world's really interesting at the moment. And I, and I feel really positive about half of it. And I feel really fucking negative about yeah. the other half. Yeah. Um, the social progression and, and equality and diversity and all those things that make the world better on one side. And then you've got the people that hate that because they're a vested interest in one. Or they're scared. Yeah, definitely scared. I think when you do anything out of fear, it's probably not, not going to be good. I agree with you. So where do you go next? 
because because I was mulling over the name of the the name of your Instagram, and I can see why it's called why it's called, what it's called. But you, you're bigger than that now. Where 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 do you go next? And what what are you gonna what are you gonna set on fire next? Oh gosh, I have so many plans, but it's trying to <laughs> trying to control those plans. You know, I have aspirations of doing doing a podcast. I I definitely want to take the Warrior Women project more global. Definitely nationally. I think there's far too many things are London centric and not enough stuff going on around the rest of the country. Um, uh, I've you know toying with the idea of doing a book, but I I kind of think oh I don't know books. Are they, have they sort of lost their moment? Is there better ways to do it? You know, I've got so many plans, but I couldn't exactly tell you where that's going to head. That's really interesting. I think <clears throat> books are magic, but they take effort, and, and but they're really good for getting you out there. Yeah. And, and if you write it in a way that is really engaging, they're not, they're not hard work. Yeah. But TV... TV's you're made for TV. Do you think? Yeah, I do. I really do. And I think there is like some serious myth busting that needs to be done. And you're you've got a really interesting background. You you're not. I'm just going to sound really dreadful to many other bloggers and Instagrammers. You're real. Right. Like you've done stuff. Yeah. You don't just take pretty pictures and yeah. have stones lined up with white lines through them. And, <laughs> And, 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 and then put on the end because yeah. there's a little bit of white and every bit of dark or something yeah, shit yeah, like that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You've, ju- you've done it. You've kind of birthed people and you've birthed people. Is that you've birthed babies and, <laughs> and you've lived a hard life and the campaigns that you run, they really matter. I'm really passionate about them and I think that shows, you know, yeah. this is exactly what I want to be doing. There is not, I couldn't think of anything else in, you know, I couldn't, I don't want to be anywhere else right now. I'm able to pick my children up from school most of the time and I'm able to make a bit of money, not setting the world on fire, but I'm doing okay. And I'm able to inspire people and that feels really good. Making money and making change. Yeah. You don't need all the money in the world, but by God, we need all the change in the world. Yeah. Um, you sound really upbeat and really positive, and, and you're right. You know, you're, clearly, you're in your element. I love it. But but the time is now. Yeah. This is this is the time. You have all the tools. For the very first time, we have all the tools in our hand. And we have all the big companies worried they're all worried. And so they should be. Absolutely. We've rumbled them. Yeah. The game's up. Yeah. I love what you do, Nat. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was <laughs> such a joy. And I'm going to come back in a year and I'm going to see what you're up to. Yeah, I'd love that. It's all right. Yeah, that'd Thank be really you. good. No worries. So how inspiring was that? There's so much you can take from that podcast, so from that conversation that's all about positivity, all about confidence, all, all about being who, who you are. And it links really nicely with the podcast I did with Holly Murchison about finding, but more importantly, owning your voice and not letting other people determine how you should speak 
And I really enjoyed recording that with Natalie. Um, please have a look at her Instagram stuff um, and understand, you know, she's really clear. You can, you can do stuff that's worthy, that changes society for the better and still like really cool shoes and, and fashion and all those things. One, liking one doesn't devalue the other. We're contradictions and, and it's okay to be both of those things. Um, and hopefully you really enjoyed that and um, tune in for the next one.